Amen. If you're able, can you please stand with us as we read God's word? We are in Proverbs 1 first. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like shields, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refused to listen have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, please turn to 1 Corinthians 1. First Corinthians 1 verses 18 through 31. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. 
But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to noble worldly standards. Not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring in nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Rick and Dawn, thank you. Rick serves as the chairman of our elder board, so takes on extra burdens for us. And of course, Dawn leads what I would argue is the greatest children's ministry ever. So thank you. Well, let's start with a story, an imaginative story. Let's pretend there are two, two families growing up together in a, in a development somewhere on the west side of Cleveland, and the children are in elementary school, and they spend several years, these two families and the children kind of grow together, until at one season of life, one of the families uh, is forced to move away to a distant place. And many years, in fact decades go by, and somehow serendipitously the, the two fathers uh, become reacquainted. And I imagine one father asking the other father, it was such a joy to grow up next to your family. I remember watching your children as they would grow. They were such joyful kids. Do, do tell me, how's that, that oldest daughter of yours? How is Emma doing? To which her father would say, Emma has been a great joy in my life. That she always had a strong work ethic. It seemed that she always surrounded herself by the kinds of friends that would push her forward who had clean mouths, that she always showed good discretion, that she uh, had no sense of entitlement. She was just a delightful girl. Uh, she showed great self-restraint. In fact, when she was looking for a spouse, she was very picky, and God provided just the right man for her. Uh, she now has a family of her own. She's had a fulfilled life. She's serving her church, and in fact, uh, me and the missus were at their house last night. Emma has been a delight for me. That's fantastic, says the other man. And, and do tell me, tell me about that boy of yours, that, that bright-eyed boy who would run around the backyard. Do tell me about Tom. How's he doing? Thanks for asking. Tom's been a struggle. From a very young age, he seemed to be quite lazy, had a sense of entitlement, thought everything would be handed to him. He's tried a bunch of get-rich-quick schemes, whereas Emma was self-restrained that... Tom has had no self-restraint, that he seems to indulge in all kinds of pleasures in the world, that he chases after every kind of person, and did I mention he's got the worst kinds of friends, he seems to gravitate towards the people that lead him astray, that he's never held down a job, that he showed no discretion when it came to a spouse, that his family life's turned to mush. He only contacts me when he needs something, and it's been many months since I've seen him, I have to tell you, my relationship with my son has been very painful. 
Now, in that scenario, which maybe hits a bit too close to home for some of us, you'd say, well, what's the difference? I mean, you have two children growing up in the same house, and we'd be inclined to say, well, is, is this difference in outcome? Does it have to do with, with, with genetics? Well, no. Uh, same genetic contribution. Does it have to do somehow with resources? I mean, was the family b better off somehow in that tight age grab? Say, no, probably not resource. Was it a matter of nurture? Say, they grew up in the same home. No, not genetics, resources, nurture. The difference, I think, comes down to what the Bible would call wisdom. The ability to do life well. The ability to flourish, or if I'll say a few times in this sermon, the way that I see it is wisdom is the ability to kind of do life with the grain of God's plan. Now, when we talk about this idea of wisdom, we, we won't do it here, but I, I think in a way it's, it should be of universal interest. We won't do it here, but if I were to say, who here wants to be wise? I hope everyone would raise their Who here wants to be a fool? Don't put your hand up, right? See, everybody wants wisdom. I think wisdom actually functions as a very interesting apologetic conversation for our non-Christian friends. Because if you have non-Christians in the workplace, say they understand the difference between knowledge, yeah, there's information, but there's this separate category of wisdom, making right judgments, having the right kind of intuitions. And if I, if I will, the way a non-Christian uses wisdom feels quite metaphysical. Everybody wants to be wise. Now, God in His kindness has given us a number of books in his word that we could call wisdom literature, that there are a series of them. We put uh, Proverbs, the book we're in today, uh, at the heading of those. It's, it's the most well-known wisdom book. And what, is it, what it is, is it's God's move to us to say, this is what it looks like to do life with the grain of my design. This is how you flourish within the cosmos as I've ordered them. This is doing life well. And as I said, every culture has wisdom texts. Uh, there are African proverbs and uh, Middle Eastern proverbs and Chinese proverbs, and so everyone's interested in doing life well. But here's God's word to us to say this is what it looks like. Now, on this bit of biblical genres, I'll just say this. We've been in Luke for many weeks. Luke is a Greco-Roman biography of the life of Jesus written by a physician. And when you turn to Proverbs, it looks quite different. Uh, it's poetic, even the way the English editors have broken it up. It doesn't read like narrative. It's saying after saying. And sometimes people say this to me. Well, how, how do you know what you're dealing with in the Bible? It's so confusing. I say, no, it's not that confusing. Uh, you get the mail, right? And say, yeah, I get the mail. Well, tell, tell me about what you received in the mail this past week. Give, give me one day's worth of posts. So in my life, it'd be something like this. You know, the, the Westlife paper, you know, one day, and you know, then next to it was my national review, the last of responsible journalism. That's what I read. And then we had a, 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 few, a few bills and then some coupons. And I say, well, how do you know the difference of those different items of post. I mean, do you, do you treat the coupon like your water bill? Or do you just, you know, the, the same result, same action? Say, no, of course not. I, how do you know they're different? Well, by, by reading them, by engaging them, by identifying what they are. So it is with the Bible that God, in his kindness, has given us a bunch of genres. He's given us a biography, four biographies of Jesus. He's given us letters to churches. He's given us narratival history. And in this case, he's given us a book of short sayings called Wisdom. 
and we identify what it is by reading only a short portion of it. Say, oh, we know exactly what we're, we're dealing with. Now, as we make our way in the Proverbs, a few things you'll notice. So from verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon didn't write all the, all the Proverbs. We know that because other people are identified later in the book. But what Solomon probably did was consolidate uh, wisdom uh, for his people by God's aid. And, and, and it's an embodiment of sayings to do life well. And so as we read, we're going to identify a few characters that will come up time and time again. The first and most important we'll be spending most of our time today is who we can call Lady Wisdom. That wisdom in the Proverbs is personified as a, a woman, partly because in the Hebrew that this noun is a feminine noun, but you'll notice that Lady Wisdom calls in close proximity to God, that when Wisdom in Proverbs speaks, uh, she is speaking for the Lord himself. So take, for example, verse 20 of the first proverb, which Dawn read. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. So what's happening there? Wisdom is personified as a woman summoning the listener, pay attention to God's wisdom. Wake up. This is serious. L listen to me. So wisdom stands for God's strong encouragement to do life on his terms. But we also, in the Proverbs, we meet some more sinister actors, don't we? So take a look, for example, at verse 10 of the first proverb. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, hey, come with us, lie with us and wait for blood, what's happening there? You have the voice, one of the voices, that's opposite wisdom, uh, the voice of sin. Don't pay attention to God. Do what feels good. Life is short. Come on. Maximize your pleasure. That's the voice of sinners or closely aligned. Verse 22, you'll meet the scoffer, right? The scoffer. I can't believe you actually, you actually read the Bible. I mean, don't, don't you know that we've made many advancements in this world? Don't you know how far we've progressed without that made-up religious stuff? Come on, get with it. Uh, that's to be mocked, the voice of the scoffer. Or maybe more serious yet, who comes up routinely, the voice of the fool. Verse 22 again, the fool hates knowledge. This is the person who, unlike the scoffer and the sinner, uh, might not be as vocal, but would just be uninterested. Say, well, I know there might be wisdom to be had out there, but no thanks, I don't need it, I'm doing just fine. And the fool plows through life. So you can see that these are set up. There's the voice of Lady Wisdom speaking for God. Do life on God's terms. It'll go well for you. You'll be a blessing to others. It's a, it's a life of, of the most fulfillment. Yes, this life is, is uh, we're all under the weight of sin, but, it, but it's the best of lives to live. Verse the voice of sin. Maximize your pleasure. Do what you want. There's no moral order. Go have at it. That's what's at stake. So point number one, really, as kind of an additional preface comment, is we, we must understand how we read biblical Wisdom, And if you look at verse 6, again, the first seven verses of Proverbs set the framework for the entire book. It's really an introduction to the whole book, but you get four, four ideas as to what the book contains, right? That this book is written so that the simple, the uninitiated, the person who is learning to do life well, to understand a proverb, 
a saying, quote, words of the wise and their riddles. Now, why is that interesting? Why are Proverbs important? I, I, I mean, how would you answer that? Why is it that every culture, as I said, has Proverbs? Because Proverbs are short, memorable sayings that inform how we live. Uh, so you can think in our own, I was trying to think of a few this week, but something like a penny saved is a penny earned. That's not in the Bible. So that's, a, that's a, as far as I can tell, hundreds of years old. It's an it's encouragement to, to save, to be a saver, not a spender. Or how about this one? Many hands make light work. Uh, that is, when you have a lot of people helping out with a difficult thing, it generally goes smoother. You see what those are? Is that they're short, compact, memorable sayings that uh, teach real truths about how to to do life. And this is why we need to see the Bible is extremely practical at every level. You get that? Um, I, I'm sure you get that opposition at times. So like, church, I mean, can you be more out of touch than church? I mean, talking about God and things out there, I need some. Say, what's more practical than the book of Proverbs, which informs how we spend our money? how we speak, what kind of friends we have. The, the Proverbs inform every aspect of our lives. And in this way, I think we want to be cautious of the first general error that while the Proverbs are thoroughly theological, that is, they're all anchored, verse 7, they're all anchored in the Lord. We'll be having a whole sermon on 1-7 in due course. But So the Proverbs are theological in that God is at the center. He's the source of wisdom, 2-6. But they aren't the place where I would go to for, for doctrine. That if you're saying, okay, here we have a book of wise sayings, do you read it the same way that you read, say, Romans 1 to 8? No. The, the Romans 1 to 8 would be a great source of um, thick and rich, deep teachings about God and how he's operated uh, within this economy of, of our fallenness. Whereas the Proverbs, while they talk about God, are short punchy sayings that teach in very important things about how to do life. So take, for example, I'll just uh, give, give you one example of what I mean. Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. Now, somebody could read this, you know, taking it out of context and say, well, pff, some God you have. I mean, I know a lot of proud people that have really nice houses and nice things. I guess God doesn't really mean what he said. And by the way, I know a lot of really poor widows. Uh, what kind of God do you have? Say, that would be misreading the proverb, wouldn't it? That the point of the proverb is that God really does oppose the pride in our hearts, and he really does care for widows and the dispossessed. That's the point of the proverb, you see. So if you, you overinterpret it, if you force a kind of theological rigor onto something that's meant to be a, a saying of a wise, godly man, then, then we miss the point. Second error, I think. Error, O-R, right? E-R-R-O-R, -R -R, error. That's what I meant to say. My English friends would be very mad. When I said error, my, sorry, it's a bad, bad uh, reaction from my er, error. A second error would be to have an overly wooden interpretation of a problem. I, I, and I say that instead of literal. Literal, I, I am a literal reader of the Bible, so I'm trying to avoid that word. But, but an overly wooden interpretation of, of a proverb says something like this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. 
but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, you know, I have certain circles, this can be very, cause a lot of problems. That you, you have the wrong kind of dad, and he cites Proverbs 13, 24, and, you know, it's not good. Instead of saying, what's the point of Proverbs 13, 24? It is that if uh, people are blessed with children and we don't do the hard work of disciplining them and reinforcing them as what is, what is right and cautioning them against what is wrong, that we're going to end up raising fools. That's the point of the proverb. Or how about this one? I'm glad my wife was in the last service and in this service. I didn't uh, exercise great wisdom in the first hour um, on this proverb. So, again, take it for what it's worth. Don't men... Don't, don't quote this often. Um, Proverbs 25, 24. It's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. Um, what does this mean? I, I mean, for starters, in the ancient Near East, the, the roof was a place that you would go up on the roof, that you'd spend time on your roof, and so... Uh, you know, we can't even really imagine that. I'd say, what does it mean, the, cor the corner of your housetop? Uh, so an overly wooden translation would miss that. But what's the point of that proverb? If you read, then, all of the proverbs, which is a good thing to do, right? You're getting the preponderance of what God's saying. It's reinforcing a fundamental point about doing life with the grain of God's economy. And it's this. It it's to be very careful in choosing a spouse, <laughs> Um, don't rush in to marrying the wrong person or marrying a kind of person for the wrong reasons. But think carefully about alignment because a marriage that gets off to a rocky start is going to be a painful experience. One, one more on this point. How about Proverbs 26, 4 and 5? This is often pick, picked on by critics. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like a fool yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So people read that and say, look at this. What kind of Bible do you have in just two verses? It contradicts itself. Are we to answer a fool or not answer a fool? Say, well, anyone who's read, again, all of Proverbs will know what this is saying is that the person who is in this situation, the wise person, will be able to discern the sincerity of the foolish man's questions. That there are foolish people who are so adamant about their foolishness that even spending time to respond to them would be a foolish thing to do, but there are also foolish people who are just ignorant, and it's an opportunity to tell them the truth. But the wise person knows the difference in the kind of foolish questioner he's dealing with. That's the point of the proverb. You see, it's not an overly wooden translation, but we have to understand the saying of the wise person that we might navigate this life well. So here's the point. The Proverbs, as an entire collection, outline godly decisions and attitudes that generally lead to a life worth living. So again, I ask you, you think of the way life can go. Don't we all want God's wisdom? <laughs> the ability to do life well, the ability to be a blessing to our loved ones, to our friends, to our church family. Say we need God's help. That, that's what's at stake today. So point number two then, bold heading number two. Let's try to pin down biblical wisdom a bit more. Wisdom involves knowledge, discretion, and action. 
that as we've said, that wisdom is not IQ. A lot of people make that mistake. So if you have a high IQ, if you're a really intelligent person, uh, then you must be wise. Believe me, that's not the case. I went to Oxford. Uh, a lot of intelligent people and, and not a lot of wisdom. Uh, that's the truth. Um, and if you look at two to five, all the key terms are setting the stage for what the, the next 31 chapters entail. So notice wisdom, instruction, understanding, insight, wise dealing, prudence, knowledge, discretion, learning, guidance. So all the key terms are kind of lumped in this introduction and all of them taken together, what is it? It's a combination of both, yes, information, but the ability to have right, good, godly judgments and then to act in accordance uh, with those judgments in a very real way. That's why Proverbs are important. And, and on this, this, again, crucial point to make here. The, the Proverbs make it clear that there is a moral realism. What do I mean by moral realism? That there is such a thing as right and wrong. There really is a, 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 an ability to do life well and to do life poorly. You say, well, wh what's the big deal about that? We live in a culture that, by and large, has abandoned moral realism. Because right now, the, the, actually, the, the greatest, the most immoral thing to do to a lot of people in our culture is to think that there's such a thing as a moral realism. Uh, that the only kind of moral position now is do whatever you want, do what feels good. So that's really the, the, the moral arc of where we're at. Instead of what Proverbs says is actually there's a way to live your life in conformity with how God's designed everything. And as you live your life in that direction, you'll be a blessing to others and God's face will smile upon you. So you can see the Proverbs assume that. There's a way to be prudent and imprudent. There's a way to, to, to go the right way and the way to go the wrong way. And that's, uh, again, as we read the book, where we're supposed to be going. So where, what's the difference then between God's wisdom, or I should say biblical wisdom, and wisdom uh, from, the Bible says there's a lot of human wisdom that's not really wisdom at all. What's the difference? Well, I think it's uh, summarized in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding, that God is the source of all real wisdom. And in a remark that I, I pray is not incendiary, I, I don't mean it to be provocative, but you, you have to ask the question, can an atheist or an agnostic be a wise person? Uh, no. Why is that the case? Because they miss the most fundamental questions of life. Where is there right or wrong? Who, who am I in, in this cosmos? Is there an afterlife that on all the big questions, no matter how smart, how, how able a person is at their craft, that they're not truly wise because they don't know their maker and are living in large aspects of their life incongruously, uh, in incongruity with the way that they're designed. Real wisdom comes from God. So to summarize, this is from Fee and Stewart in their famous book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Wisdom is the ability to make godly choices in life. Wisdom is the ability to make godly choices in life. Say, God, is fitting that Rick would read from Psalm 8, a great psalm of humans being the crown of creation. 
that he's endowed us with an ability that the other animals, I'm sorry, I know get, get fights about this too, about animals. We have an ability to make choices that animals do not have. There are right choices and wrong choices and honoring choices and dishonorable choices. And the stakes are severe if you didn't catch it in the reading. Let me just draw your attention again. So you've got in Proverbs 1, uh, the voices of the sinners from verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, what a word, right? To lure you away. Come, follow me. Come, have fun. It'll feel good. Uh, don't worry about that stuff. Come with me. And you'll notice if you skip down to verse 18, it's a very interesting, after they've gone on, kind of plundering the others, taking advantage of others. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. You say, that's very interesting that the Proverbs would indicate that a life in rebellion to God, while it might be fun for a time, will eventually kind of collapse on itself. And for a lot of us who have received Jesus, we know this all too well. D doing life on our own terms and not thinking about the Lord and what he wants and plowing through, that ultimately that life's a very scary place to be. And the voice of sin is very enticing but it doesn't work out well. Alternatively, again, verse 20, Lady Wisdom speaks, but she too, is where she agrees with the voice of sin is only in the fact of the consequences. Have a look at verse 32. For the simple are killed, are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Could it be? Is that an overstatement? Are we reading this correctly? That should I ignore God's wisdom, that I'm uh, heaping destruction upon myself, that the stakes for doing life on God's terms are of great importance? And if it helps you, verse 15 also, I think, holds a key truth to understanding the Proverbs. We get just a glimpse of it here, but you, if you read through the book, you'll get a lot of this. My son, do not walk in the way with them, Hold back your foot from their paths. The language there of a way or a path, that the choice between scoffing and deliberately sinning and mocking on the one hand versus the choice of walking with God's wisdom is uh, uh, the scenario is walking down a path. And somebody told me this a long time ago. I'm indebted to the person. I wish I knew who said it, but it, it, see if this makes sense to you. Choices lead you down paths. Paths ultimately end up at destinations, and not all destinations are equally desirable. It's true, isn't it? Every choice that God in his kindness and his grace has given us to make, that we make hundreds of choices a day, again, our tongues, our money, our friends, our church family, loads and loads of choices because of God's kindness, that as we make those choices over periods of time where we go down a path. And for some of us, as we make choices against God's will, we end up at a place that can be very painful. But again, there's wonderful news today if you're here, that God, for whatever reason, has brought you to hear Proverbs 1, where we're at in our study. And you say, wow, I, I've not lived wisely, as God said. What chance do I have? Well, a great chance to turn your life over to, to the Lord Jesus, who, as we'll see in our final point, is the source of all real wisdom. Did you catch the second reading? 
The second reading differentiates between the worldly wise and God's wisdom, and it says, Paul, amazingly, he doesn't say, well, studying the life of the historical Jesus will make you wise. That would be one thing. Say, well, we know Jesus was a wise man. He taught a lot of wise things. If I just study the life of Jesus, uh, then I I have a chance at emulating his wisdom. Yes, that's true, but it's more than that. Paul says Jesus is God's wisdom, that the wisdom of God became flesh, that, that, if you will, the, the lady wisdom who's speaking in the Proverbs, in order for God to say, I'll, I'll show you just how serious I, I'm going to actually, my, my wisdom is going to be embodied and live among you and die on your behalf. And so for every Christian to say, yes, I want to be wise, I want to do life well, I want to be a blessing to others, what do we do? We receive Jesus. We welcome Jesus. We, we want him to govern more of our lives. We want to sin less, and we want his spirit to control more. That's the source of a wise life. And that's why I say if you don't know Jesus today and this idea of paths and choices, you say, this is hitting home a little bit. Uh, what do I receive Jesus? Receive him today and follow him. And you'll see how the Lord's wisdom will come through your life in such a way where you say, wow, wow, I've become a different person because he's changed me from the inside out. So friends, as we study this book for the next month, I do pray it's a blessing to you. We all want to be wise. Wisdom comes from God. It's a matter of, yes, knowing his word, but also sitting under it in such a way where we have right godly intuitions so that we might be a blessing to all who come to our path. And we know based on the entirety of scripture that the way that our congregation can increase in wisdom is by being more devoted to Jesus. You say, that's really the end. How does a congregation become more wise? I mean, should we do more study, you know, read more, uh, you know, Middle Eastern proverb? No. Be more committed to following Jesus. That's how we'll become wise. And friends, our world needs moral realism. That moral realism is an anchor for the soul. And may the church be the place that says, nope, God set up an economy. This is how you do life well. It's a roadmap and a blessing. May we not be embarrassed about that. I'll pray, and then I'll talk about the Lord's Supper. Father, help us to understand this book. Help us to read it on your terms. And Lord, I do pray that you'd give us a hunger for, as your, your word here says, discretion and guidance and truthful living, that all the things that you mention, um, just that you would flood us with those uh, desires to be wise people in your eyes. Help us, Lord, in today's age to see, well, well, there is a worldly wisdom, but we don't want, as James would say, the world's wisdom. We want the wisdom from above that is manifested, again, not only in word, but in the living word, your son who came into history, who died in our place, who was raised from the dead, and who now, as we said, is ascended and, and, and adjudicating on behalf of his people. We thank you for this comfort. And so, Lord, help us to be on this great quest to become a wise congregation. And Lord, I do pray that for those who don't know you, that they would see something here that is just uh, not, not coming from other voices. And we pray that would be a source of light for them.